Welcome to the Liberty Block. I'm Elliot Axelman. I'm joined today by the great Liberty activist for education rights, Michelle Lavelle from Granite State Hope Educators. Michelle, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you for the invitation. I appreciate it. Yeah, I've known about you for a few years now. Finally met you once during campaign season. I've been meaning to have you on for a while to talk about education rights and freedom of education. And um, Kate and I are hoping to start a family soon and we're going to homeschool. So we're going to be very, very involved in this fight. Awesome. Very exciting. So we'll talk broadly about the whole uh, education rights movement. But right now there's a bill, I understand, that's complicated. It's good. It's bad. It's neutral. It's complicated. Can you tell us a little bit about the state of education choice in New Hampshire and then about this bill as well? And then tell us what we should know and what we should do. Okay, big picture overview. New Hampshire does have some school choice options. Uh, We have the education tax credit scholarship program. Uh, The dominant scholarship organization in that is the Children's Scholarship Fund of New Hampshire. Uh, It went into effect in 2013. And uh, I don't know exactly what their uh, donations were for the uh, 2020 academic year, but I know as of uh, for the 2019 year, they raised 1.9 million, which is totally rocking it. And that's a tax credit that people can, instead of paying a business tax, they can pay towards this system? It's a uh, business profit tax or business enterprise tax. And then individuals can make a donation and that can go off their federal tax return because New Hampshire doesn't have an income tax. So uh, there are different ways to donate and it goes towards children instead of whatever the government in its infinite wisdom chooses to use it for. Um, But this way, uh, that program is for low-income children. So I believe it's still capped at 300% of the federal poverty limit, adjusted for family size. And uh, it can be used for uh, out-of-district public schools, for private schools, including religious schools, and... uh, homeschooling expenses. There's a process for getting reimbursements and what's covered. Uh, And so there's a whole mechanism for applying for that and showing your financial records so that you do meet the income limits. Uh, But it's been a great program. I know a lot of families have had their lives changed for the better because of it. It's a great program. Uh, The other big school choice option available in a much smaller way is the town tuitioning program. Uh, The town, I think it's mostly used out of Croydon that allows a school district, particularly a school board to have uh, contractual options that families can utilize with surrounding schools, both private or public. Uh, But it's if usually if that school community does not have all the grades in their own district. So like in the Croydon case, I believe they end at grade four and then children that are grades five and up could choose to go somewhere else that the school district has these available contracts with. And then if the uh, cost of that tuition is higher, the parents pay the tuition, but there the money follows the children too. So it's a, a neat, neat opportunity. The tricky part is that a lot of school districts have area agreements with surrounding school districts, and they can't have those in place if they're going to enter into these town tuitioning programs. So that has been a bit of an obstacle for being able to 
roll that out in a bigger way. Um, and then, of course, homeschooling is a super, super environment here in New Hampshire. Um, it's funny, if you look at the Homeschool Legal Defense Association, it has New Hampshire looking kind of only mediocre, but it really is very simple and minimal uh, involvement, you know, even though there is a requirement for a statewide assessment or a, a teacher evaluation every year, um, it's really simple. You don't even have to turn it into anybody. Parents get to keep it private. So there were a couple critical um, uh, improvements to the home education requirements back in 2012, and it's been awesome ever since. So that's kind of a big overview of what's in New Hampshire for, for educational freedom situations. Um, so in New Hampshire, families have three broad ways to plug in for satisfying the education attendance requirements. They can do public schools, and uh, we have both your local district schools and charter schools. And so there's a really big and growing community of chartered public schools in our state. That's also another great way for parents to plug in. Uh, and then there's a lot of private schools. Some are religious, some are not. That's a second option for choice in New Hampshire. And then, of course, home education. So that's a that's kind of where our group specializes. We, you know, we we operate in that arena, but uh, there's a lot of good options in New Hampshire. So currently, if I pay property taxes, let's say five thousand dollars a year, yep. Unless I'm in that that triple poverty line, um, there's no way for me to get any of that money back if I'm not using public school system and I homeschool and I want some of that money back. There's no way other way to get it currently. No, there's not. The money does not follow the child currently. Um, it does if you happen to be in um, like the Croydon example, the town tuitioning, the money will follow the child. And there is something called manifest educational hardship. That is when the district places a child somewhere else, a private school, a different right. public school. Uh, that's really, really, really hard to get. It's usually in the cases of more uh, substantial special needs situations, mm -hmm. bullying, things like that. But nonetheless, it's very hard to get. So currently, is there a bill this session that, that would provide DSAs or, or some way to get money back for those who don't use the public school system? Yes. So for your listeners who don't know what ESAs are, um, they are called education savings accounts. They are uh, not what most people think. It's not like you setting your own money aside and getting it back. This is uh, in New Hampshire, we're calling it education freedom accounts so that the name alone doesn't get mixed up with other th funding mechanisms that are out there. Like a 529 but, type deal. Exactly. Okay, we, okay. So we're calling it education freedom because accounts. Because it's more like a voucher? Mm, no. Vouchers actually are public funds going directly to the schools. In this case, it's going to the parents. And that's a critical difference. So- when you hear people say voucher, it's an incorrect term. Okay. So uh, EFAs are way better than vouchers because way better. The money stay with the child. It goes with the parents for approved uses. So it's the parents making the choice. That's a huge difference between these EFAs and vouchers. So uh, so yes, there is a bill being considered in the New Hampshire legislature this session. Uh, actually two. There's one that's a universal EFA. That's the HB 20. 
Uh, that's the one that had the massive public hearing just yesterday on Tuesday afternoon that ran for four hours and will continue. Um, yeah, that one is uh, a universal program. And that means just about any child aged six to 18, because that's the, the education attendance law age, could have that state portion of the funding follow the child somewhere else. So it's not your local property taxes, but it's your the state portion that usually goes to the public schools based on enrollment. It at, would average about $4,500 and follow the child to uh, an out-of-district public school, a private school, or for something that I'm calling EFA learning, which would be the parent-directed portion. And that's regardless of the, the family's income? As of now, yes. Okay. So what, what's the problem with this bill? There's a few issues. Um, so the problem as it pertains to homeschoolers is that this parent-directed EFA version is being confused with homeschooling. And I get it. On the surface, they look essentially, or at least potentially, identical. But there are critical differences. And language matters. Words matter, especially when it comes to statutes. Um, so the differences are um, if an EFA family is using it for parent-directed learning, their uses for it are then prescribed in that bill. So yes, you can use it for private school tuition. You could use it for textbooks. You could use it for computer hardware and online uh, access, but it's specified in the bill. That makes sense. Okay. And then um, there are accountability mechanisms. Right now it's wide open, but if you were listening to yesterday's hearing, you knew um, the bill took a beating on one of, on that point, that there weren't academic accountability mechanisms. And so I would expect the bill to probably end up having amendments to require some kind of reporting. Who knows what? I know what we did a couple of years ago when uh, Senate Bill 193 went through the legislature uh, in 2017 and 18, and there were a ton of hoops that families would have to do to satisfy that academic accountability portion. So it's not in HB 20 now. I don't know what they'll negotiate in, but whatever mechanisms are required in the bill for it to pass would then become required of those ESA recipient families. And finally, um, the EFA families would be required to follow whatever the rules are of that program. That is entirely separate from what homeschooling families have to fulfill. So homeschool families have a different law. The one that applies to homeschool families is uh, RSA 193-A, and there are very specific requirements. So you have to do a one-time only notification, maintain a portfolio, and do some kind of annual assessment. And there are a lot of options. But that's what homeschooling is in New Hampshire. And the EFA program will have its own set of requirements. So it's really important not to call them the same thing because they're very different animals. And that's where the problem is. If you call them the same thing when they're not, it, it's going to cause conflict. Okay. I think I might finally be starting to understand a tiny bit. Okay. This is still, again, you've been doing this forever and you know this stuff. <laughs> it's still so complicated. I barely know, you know, all the technicalities of our current laws and systems. What you're saying is currently, and I understand currently in, in New Hampshire, homeschool has just let the school district know, try to do a curriculum and give them a test every year. Although you don't have to tell the government about that test. 
the EFA program would have different, I assume, more strict requirements? We Well, so a homeschool family doesn't even have to use a curriculum. Mm-hmm. They don't have to do. They just have to do some kind of test once just, a year. Yeah, private. do a test, keep track of what you're doing. So but the EFA would be a different program that's that's less. Uh, who know it right now, if you look in the eligible uses, it is more restrictive. Not not badly. It's not horrible by any means. And, and I don't mean to imply that it is, but it has very prescribed eligible uses, whereas homeschoolers can do anything they want for so their children. Specifically, do you know the specific restrictions that this EFA yeah. created by HB 20 has? Yeah. So it has, it, there is a line in the bill right now up, uh, in eligible uses. It's numerated as option O. I'd have to forget which section it's in, but eligible uses part O says essentially almost any legitimate educational cost could be covered. But frankly, I think that's going to be cut when they have to negotiate that bill, because that is such a wide open door. And I already know legislators are saying these darn unaccountable, you know, they're getting state funds. They want to know how it's being used. They don't want to leave a big wide open door like that. I'm, I thoroughly expect that option to be cut. And, um, well, will it be cut or will it be, um, Specified? And specified on it has to be textbooks or something or curriculum as well, opposed cur- to me taking my family to a trip to France for $18,000 and say they're yes. French. Yes. Yeah. I mean, obviously homeschoolers can do that and call it homeschooling. Right. Or we can go to a museum and call that our field trip for the yeah. day. But and obviously if I'm spending, you know, a trillion yeah. dollars a year, that I, it makes sense. There's some accountability. Yeah. And, and I get that, but that's why I think that optionality in the, that big open doorway for eligible uses will end up being modified mm-hmm. and restricted. Now that doesn't keep an EFA family from still going on that trip to France if they are so inclined, but, it, but the EFA funds wouldn't be able to cover it. But so that those are requirements and whatever gets negotiated into the EFA for these academic accountability standards. And I do expect that to happen. Um, will become part of the EFA requirements. If you get the funds, you have to do this. Whereas homeschoolers already have their accountability mechanisms and it's different. So, I mean, if you, I I produced a video today and I think you may have seen it. Uh, It's on our website, which is grandestatehomeeducators.org in the blog. It's the one at the top right now. And it's a summary of uh, HB 20, the universal uh, education freedom account bill. And I provide the testimony that I submitted to the committee and along with this video. And I, in the video, there's a, I think a pretty effective side by side. So you can see point by point what the similarities and the differences are between an EFA recipient family that may be choosing a parent directed learning type of approach, as opposed to using the funds for a private school versus the traditional homeschooler who follows a different set of requirements. Does that and, help? Yeah. And this, <laughs> this bill creates, it doesn't touch the current homeschool program. It just creates another thing. That's another option, another program. Another option. Then right? that's just it. It, it, it's not enough. It's only mentioned in section four of the bill. It doesn't even add it to the compulsory attendance law. There's no 
portion of that in the HB 20 language. And that's part of the problem. And that's one of the things uh, that we've been trying to have addressed for quite some time. And uh, I am very hopeful that uh, the team of people working on it with some of the state reps in the uh, house are going to be able to find a way of making that work out. So currently you think that the EFA program, if that were utilized, that would not satisfy the compulsory attendance law in New Hampshire? No, because wow. it's not written into 193.1, which is the compulsory attendance law. And it has those three options, the public, private, and home ed. The, the current bill, HP 20, doesn't have so that language. that's obviously a big issue because if I did yeah. EFA, my kids would be truants, right? It, you could have that dreaded knock on the door. You could. I know it's well-intended. They yeah. intend it to in be inclusive, and it has that in the bill in Section 4, Roman numeral 4, but the compulsory attendance law isn't changed, and that's that really would make it official that this is a recognized option in our state. Yeah, so currently, as as it's written, the current language of the bill it's essentially like it fails to do what the, you know, the primary purpose is. Yeah. And I, it, and you have to do it in the bill. There is no automatic process. So even if this passes is, is okay. And it's not in the compulsory attendance law, there is no magic process that happens afterwards on its own. It has to be part of the legislative process. Yeah. It's interesting that none of the sponsors or the uh, OLS, you know, didn't pick that uh, up. OLS is not always cooperative and, heard, yeah. you know, honestly, I mean, I've tried, I've been working with folks on the EFA for several, several weeks. Mm -hmm. And this is an issue I raised a long time ago. And I was flatly told, oh no, that's not necessary. And I'm like, it is, it is. And it's only once things got into the, you know, the stretch right before the hearing, did they finally listen and pay attention to what I've been trying to say for weeks. It's okay, unfortunate. So it's unfortunate, but I think yeah. we, I think we're headed into a solution on that, which that's the bottom line. I, I, I'd love to see this happen. And the people, I guess on the committees and, and the general uh, makeup of the house is supportive of correcting this bill and making it a good uh, pro uh, school choice bill. I believe so. Um, I know it's, I would call it a signature bill for the entire Republican caucus in Concord, both House and Senate. I know that this is a priority bill and I would love to see that happen because I fully recognize this would help many, many families regardless of what option they choose. Um, and especially now with uh, public schools being closed, they're locking kids out of being able to attend school. And which is just horrific when you figure either little kids who really need in-person learning, special ed needs children, or kids who just simply bet, thrive in that environment versus a virtual one. My goodness, um, they really need that money uh, to, to make this work for them. So I'd love to see it happen, but not at the expense of what we have for homeschool freedom. You can't do that. That's, that's not cool. <laughs> Yeah. So currently this bill, you know, how much you probably said earlier, how much money it would um, allow to be kept with the parents? Yes. The average per the um, New Hampshire Department of Education's financial analysis would be about $4,500 per child. So there's roughly 3,600, 3,700 that comes from the state. And then there's additional funds called differentiated aid. So that could be free and reduced lunch, students that are the low, low income families, 
ELL, English language learner families, um, and other categories that, you know, special ed. So that would tack on additional state funds that could follow the child out to a different option. You're saying that the average cost per student per year in New Hampshire for the government to educate them is, is 4,000. My math was closer to 15 or 20,000 a year. Oh, that's including state funds. The, I'm sorry, the local funds, the state portion averages around 4,500. But you're right, this, the total cost per student across school districts is over $16,000 a year. And if you add in all the expenses, so building costs and transportation, things that they don't customarily count in that total, the 16,000, the cost is just shy of 20 grand a kid. Yeah. So in a normal world, again, in my normal fantasy world, of, uh, <laughs> where, where everything made sense and the government was accountable and no coercion existed, um, I, if I just made one call and said, I don't want to use the public school system, I would get $20,000 back per year. Well, well, yeah. I mean, there is some portion that is a fixed cost for having a building in the community, but it is a much smaller percentage than the school district's typically will admit they would like to tell you that everything is a fixed cost. And it's not. There's a variable cost that fluctuates depending on enrollment. And New Hampshire has had a declining student enrollment for well over 10 years. Mm -hmm. And that's a reality in the local budgets that they've never come to terms with. In fact, I bet you most of your your viewers would say that their local property taxes are about to take a hit again. I wrote a whole article about it saying, you know, the hoax at school district or SAU 16 the um, enrollment is down around 45 students per year on average every year down and yep. yet the school budget goes up or, you know, a few percent yeah. a year. So, that, so the and, cost and, per student is really going up. So if they don't average the, the percentage or the dollar portion of it, they reassess your home at a higher value. So they still get you on the, the money either way. But you're right. The student enrollment is going down and has been across the state. And yet school districts want more and more and more of the money. So just to confirm, if this bill is able to be fixed up and made um, into a proper bill and it passes, um, if then I could apply for the CFA program and get around four or $5,000 back per year, how do I go about applying to do this? There's a process. Um, I haven't seen the actual form or how they would go about it, but right now there is no income restriction. So that yeah. is a huge of awesome thing. Now, I understand some families just philosophically don't want the government money. And I totally respect that. But for some families, that makes it a make or break difference. Well, it's my money. It's not the government. It's my money. Totally, totally on board. But there are people who who just don't want it. Hey, but then they have the choice. Mm -hmm. And um, if that 4,500 or, you know, however that ends up being for the individual child makes a difference between you being able to get to that private school or be, I mean, for most homeschoolers, that is so much more than what homeschool families typically spend on their kids on a per student basis. Uh, It would be a huge coup, you know, just awesomeness for families to be able to do more for their kids. The government's not going to give me, I'm a pessimist. The government's not going to give me 4,500 bucks that easily. What other hoops do you foresee them making me jump through? I, I do fully anticipate academic reporting requirements. They want to know that you're getting a, a real quality education, which I think is 
hypocritical. <laughs> but I, I know New Hampshire uh, does somewhere in the top five of all states when you look at the national tests. However, when you look at, when you dig into the performance, academic performance uh, for New Hampshire, even across the state, I mean, it's a pitiful amount of kids, maybe 33% that are considered proficient or above in math, you know, roughly 35, maybe 38%-ish for English every year uh, that are proficient and above. And the Department of Education defines proficient as being more or less on grade level. So it, for 20 grand a year per child, you're still getting mediocre results academically. Eh, no wonder parents want an option. And I do believe in uh, what the market will do if, if schools have to compete for their students and it's not an automatic, they get the money kind of situation. The public schools will improve because mm -hmm. they'll be responsive to the families in their community. And, you know, private schools have, you know, because of the pandemic and families really needing in-person options, just about every private and charter school in our state has had maximum enrollment this year. It's been awesome. But these public schools aren't responding. And, and their response, well, they are responding. They're continuing to lock kids out. Nashua hasn't had in-person education since last March, almost a full year. So, you know, I, I would think that this ESA would spur a better competitive environment for our public schools. And it's a win-win then. So I, I'd love to see it happen. Excellent. Is there any other bill related to education that's going through right now? Yes, there is something called that I think you could call a local EFA and ed another education freedom account bill sponsored by Kevin Vervel. Uh, I believe it's House Bill 607. I, I should have looked it up to see if it's scheduled for a public hearing yet, but that one is like a local EFA. That one is really interesting in that it also has money following the child out. And it, it rather than creating a fourth new type of compulsory attendance category, it can be used um, for out of district public, for private schools and homeschooling. And that one also does not have any additional or new reporting requirements. That would have 85% of the local money following the child out. And this would only, this would require each local district to have a vote. Do you, do you want to offer this or don't you? And then the community decides if they're going to offer it or not. And they get to decide every year and the amount would be adjusted every year. But that would have 85% of not just the, the state funds, but the local money follow the child to an option. So state and local, meaning closer to that $15,000, $20,000 mark. Much, much, much okay. closer. And when you say a vote, by the district is that like a, like an SAU or just each town? I believe I'd have to look at the bill closer. I, I mean, Kevin, I'm sure could come on okay. and explain the you know details in, with much better accuracy. But I believe it's a town warrant article. So your town of Hookset could decide: Do we want to participate in this or not? Do we want to have our portion of the local taxpayer dollars go to? to kids. I think that bill is going to have a lot more resistance. <laughs> you I'm know? just imagining how much the uh, yeah. 
ATF is going to spend on that campaign. I mean, I mean, yeah. Um, but it, it would be really awesome to see. I mean, it's our taxpayer money, right? Mm -hmm. And if your local school was producing the really superior education for our kids that would like them to be receiving, then I wouldn't and, use that program and I wouldn't. Right. Yeah. Then you would stay there and be happy as a clam. Right. But if it wasn't providing a good environment for your child for whatever reason, whether it was academics, bullying or whatever, you could go and get that better education for your kids somewhere else. Well, it's competition and it's choice. And we all know which um, type of people are anti-choice and anti-competition and anti-free market. But competition yeah. makes everything better. It makes everyone accountable, makes everyone forces them to provide a good product and service so that people can, you know, they can earn the money from people there. Yeah, yeah, that would be really wonderful to see. Um, unfortunately, I do think Kevin is going to have an uphill battle on mm -hmm. that one, because right now, I'm sure you've heard it, SAUs across the state are screaming bloody murder. How dare these parents not stay enrolled? Mm -hmm. The enrollment numbers across the state completely plummeted. Homeschool numbers doubled as of October truly doubled over 6,000 homeschoolers in the state this year alone, because the way homeschool reporting works with the districts, they report how many new homeschoolers are in the state. Do you know currently how many homeschool students or families or what percentage in the state? Um, I would say it would double. So if, you know, whatever 6%, 6,000 families. Well, see, that's the tough thing. The New Hampshire Department of Ed homeschool count only tallies up new reporting homeschoolers, not the ones that reported in previous years and are still in their own programs. So it's not possible to know like how many students in New Hampshire are homeschooled? Nah, nah. You know, it's really funky. Um, the New Hampshire Department of Ed has an ongoing enrollment tally for all the districts where it's regardless of K to 12, they keep track of it. What? So if you move from grade eight to grade nine, you're still in their system, mm -hmm. but you just move up to the high school count. But with the way they keep track of it for homeschoolers, it's only those new families who are reporting. So it's kind of funky, kind of weird. When you guesstimate, I, I know you have your finger on the pulse pretty well. When you guesstimate five, 10, 30, 50% are students I, are homeschooled? Traditionally on a national average, homeschooling average is close to 3%. So I would say we're well over five, you know, some other states are saying it's as high as 10%, which is rocking it, if you ask me. But um, I, I wouldn't be in the least bit surprised if New Hampshire's is somewhere north of 6%, probably not as high as 10%, but because we have real a lot of good private schools that families mm -hmm. have been accessing during this pandemic time. But uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was somewhere close to 8%. Do you think any state has more percentage, a higher percentage? I have seen national articles that have higher percentages. Uh, off the top of my head, I can't recall, but I, I keep track of things on a national basis too. So, you know, just, it's a hobby of mine. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned a few times that there's a compulsory attendance law. Uh, even just that phrase makes me angry. I gotta be uh, honest. I know. Um, do you think it would be overly ambitious or radical or insane or too optimistic for me to think that maybe one day in my dreams that um, entire statute could be removed so we don't have compulsory attendance, meaning we're not technically slaves anymore and we can educate our kids how we want and not how the government wants? I don't think it's realistic, but you know, it's a goal. Um, the compulsory attendance age was raised from age 16 to 18. I think it was as recently as 2008. I almost think it was Senate Bill 18 because it rings a bell because it was 18 year old for 
the way it got numbered that particular year. I think it was 2008 SB 18. Um, but that raised compulsory ed from age 16 to 18. And their argument was that these older teens don't have the ability to make uh, an informed adult rational choice. That's what parents choice. are for. It's called I parents. Know. Well, the, I, I attended the hearing and there was a bill a few years back to lower it back to 16. That's what I was thinking. Maybe the, the yep. right approach is to uh, minimize that to 16 and bring the bottom up to 8, 10, 15, and eventually Yeah, squ it. squish it completely, right? Um, well, the bill that was supposed to attempt to lower it down to 16, um, I heard the testimony. I was up there in Concord hearing it in the House Ed Committee, um, and their arguments was uh, that there are parents, and they particularly said immigrant parents, who get harassed by their T their own teenagers into, um, you know, their kids aren't showing up for class, they're cutting school, they're doing drugs and hanging out on the street playing video games. And mm -hmm. these parents don't have the um, ability to discipline their own children correctly. Discipline's a private matter. Politicians <laughs> should so not be involved in discipline. So I have an interesting question. Yeah. Um, the current compulsory education in New Hampshire means that between 16, between six and 18. Yep. Um, all children have to be educated. I assume for homeschool, they also have to be schooled and you have to do some kind of curriculum and testing until they're 18 as well if you homeschool? Yes, but it's not a curriculum. So you can unschool, you could do whatever you darn well want. But you do have to do a test and still inform the district. You get a lot. Nope, you don't have to inform the district. So you have a choice for that annual assessment. You can do a statewide test of your choice. It doesn't have to be the same one that the local public schools do. You can do anyone under the sun and there are oodles of choices out there. You can do a test or you can do a teacher evaluation and that is with the teaching professional of your choice. So it can be somebody with a New Hampshire certification or one from a state that has a reciprocal agreement nice. or this is a nice one, a teacher who is te currently teaching in a non-public school. So if you have a friend down the street who's teaching at the local Catholic school, she knows your kids and what's going on, you could have your friend do it. That's great. So if, if my kid at, by 15, 16 years old will be working full time, and to be honest, we won't be doing much homeschool anymore because they'll be extremely educated and well experienced in their field of work already. You, there's no issue the state's going to bring against me if they're 15, 16 working full time. Um, well, that's late child labor law that you could run into that. But uh, from the education standpoint, no, not a as problem. As long as when they're 17, they're working, but they also once a year do that little test thing. And, and th there's another option within the home ed law that says you can work out a different arrangement with whoever you sent your original notification to. So for example, it could be a different test altogether. Or, you know, if your kid is in a work program doing awesome, wonderful things, maybe you're the school that you were working with says, ah, that's great. Or like there are kids, um, high school kids already doing tons and tons of college work or some combination of other online learning opportunities. And so they've get a report card from that place, one from here, one from here, and combined, that's sufficient. So there are a ton of options within the home ed law now. And the beauty of that is it all remains private. It doesn't get turned into anybody. That was one of the big deregulation changes back in 2012. Great. Is there anything else in the legislature going on now that we have to know about? Oh my goodness. Those are the ones I'm most closely watching as with my homeschool hat. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I would say uh, that CAC, CACR 3, which is a constitutional amendment, um, that one is about ending the religious bigotry of the Blaine Amendment in the Constitution. That one's intriguing. Uh, You may have heard the Supreme Court of the United States had a ruling in the Espinoza versus Montana decision over the summer. And it essentially said that uh, state programs could not discriminate against religious institutions simply because they are religious. You know, it's it's the idea that... um, if the parents are, if a place applies, a religious institution applies to a program, they should be able to be qualified based on the criteria. And this is about the education tax credit. Well, it, it's it does apply to the education tax credit, but the one that we have right now in the state can be used at religious schools. But that's something they've taken a hit for in past mm-hmm. legislative battles. Um, but this definitely would apply to the EFA bills uh, because. You know, as we heard yesterday in the public hearing, there are state representatives and people who don't like the bill who would like it not to be used at religious schools. But we have this recent Supreme Court decision that says you cannot exclude that. So that's a bit I think that's a big deal for education freedom Mm -hmm. uh, because it puts the decision in the hands of the parents, uh, not the state choosing who can and cannot participate. There are plenty. I'm sure there are plenty. I'm not religious, but there are plenty of people who are religious who want their kids to go to religious private schools in New Hampshire. Are you informing all of those thousands of families about this and are they helping you fight? Uh, I am not working on broad school choice at this point. I still have my focus on homeschooling, but there are groups that I believe are like Cornerstone, Respect New Hampshire, mm-hmm. uh, Children's Scholarship Fund and others. Um, but, you know, it's not just religious families that choose religious schools mm-hmm. because there may be just really great academics or a great environment where your kid thrives and it, a lot of these schools don't require a religious statement or a religious agreement to have your kids go there. That's a misunderstanding that a lot of people have. You can still, you know, there's a ton of Catholic schools that may have a code of conduct, but don't necessarily require you to be Catholic to attend. Yeah, so, personally, I, I'm, I'm agnostic, but I'm very conservative. In most things, I'm very conservative, like personally in my own house. Sure. Politically, I'm libertarian voluntarist, but in my, in, you know, I'm pretty modest, pretty conservative in my own house, you know? Sure. Um, So as far as other than the religion, I I feel like um, a lot of the code of conduct of a religious school, I probably would support. And and if I couldn't homeschool for some reason, I'm sure I would consider sending my kids to to a religious school if it were a great school with good conservative values, because we know the alternative. Public schools and other schools are extremely um, left progressive ideologically. Well, I mean, I, Anything that gives parents more choice is a wonderful thing. And I'm all on board with that, even though I'm more laser focused on homeschooling at the moment. Awesome. So you're going to come back uh, often onto the show, I hope, regularly and keep <laughs> us all informed. Sure. Happy uh, to. We got to stay informed. And you're, I know you're the uh, expert on this. And I want to stay in the loop. I'm going to try to do better staying in the loop as well. But you're welcome back on the show anytime, of course. Oh, articles, podcasts, videos, the article stuff. Um, any other final words for me, the viewers, the, uh, readers? Um, I'd say, you know, um, goodness, follow our website. There's a, so if, for your viewers who do have kids or looking to homeschool their kids down the road, take a look at the website. There really is a ton of information there. I've tried to make it 
kind of one-stop shopping for all things homeschool in our state. Uh, videos, resources, you name it. Uh, we have a massive Facebook group, even with people fleeing Facebook. I, we've got a group of 3,900 people. We have some specialty groups, depending on how people want to plug in. So we've got smaller communities that are more focused on different things like micro schools and pods. Uh, for families, we've got uh, with children with special needs, we've got a group to address their concerns. So we've got different ways for people to plug in and we're even on MeWe. So yeah. we, we try to create a community, not just dump information at people, but connect people. And, uh, you know, it, I, it matters, especially with this pandemic environment. It's really hard to connect with other people. So we've tried to help make that happen in uh, social platforms as best as we can. And what's the website again for the listeners? GraniteStateHomeEducators.org. And that's also how you'll find us on Facebook. And um, I think that's also the name on MeWe. So Good. We'll post the link to the website and the MeWe and everything on our description in the the show notes. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much for your time. You are a rock star. Keep doing what you're doing. (laughs) Thank you for for letting me chat your ear off on all of this tonight. It's been fun. Anytime. You're welcome back anytime. Thank you. All right, talk to you later.